Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'm here in Toronto, very cool Toronto, talking to Peter Diamandis, who seems to be near the sun in Santa Monica, yeah. California. And we're talking about the impact on entrepreneurs, especially of the coronavirus and the shutdown of normal ways of living your life and normal ways of doing your work. And there is going to be just an explosion, Peter, of exponential capabilities right now because it's not a nice thing to do. It's a necessary thing to do. Yeah, no, this is extraordinary times. And during extraordinary times, extraordinary things are born. I know that I'm waking up with a fire in my belly and my mind is racing. I think about Darwinian evolution during times like this. You know, Darwin talked about the species, you know, formation of new species took three things. It took small population size. It took isolation, geographic isolation and high evolutionary pressures. And we have those three factors in play right now. They're going to kill off a lot of old style companies or a lot of old style products inside our companies. But for those who are awake and aware and engaged, massive opportunities coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the most important things is mindset, getting out of fear mm-hmm. and getting into problem solving and creativity and really giving your team permission to bubble up crazy ideas. I had this conversation with my team just the other day. I said, okay, remember the day before something is truly a breakthrough, it's a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. And so we're in brainstorming modes. No idea is a bad idea. Don't shut anything down. I'm open for any crazy ideas that abide the laws of physics. <laughs> yeah. Right from the start, 1974, when I started coaching, I've always been in almost 100% service industry with pretty much 100% service customers and clients. My whole approach and the approach that we've really, I think, uniquely developed here at Strategic Coach has really been not to pay attention to what your competition is doing, but pay attention to the most venturesome and aspiring of your customers and clients are. Okay. A lot of people think that the marketplace is actually created by, you know, businesses and it's created by entrepreneurs. The marketplace is actually created by the aspirations of very adventuresome consumers. You know, they're looking for new things. They want new experiences. They want new conveniences. And above all, they want new capabilities. And so what I'm recommending, pick the top 20 of your clients and customers see how they're looking at the future and just get them to say, if you could try something new right now that has been not thought about before or is back burner, what would you do? And then see if you can assist them in doing something brand new. And I said, your competitors are not a useful source of information right now. I don't think they ever are, but your most venturesome Clients and customers are really the key. And so, Peter, with in relationship to your very, very exciting secret project, which is no longer a secret, <laughs> this actually creating now, you were surprised last year when you actually looked into this, how little actual coaching and education there are for entrepreneurs to actually see AI and software services as a new who for their organization. I think you were kind of surprised by that. Yeah, it's interesting. In our conversations, and for you as my 
coach, we were talking about, you know, who, not how concept, which is one of those ideas that came out of your brain and, you know, sort of sparked a forest fire of thinking by all of your coach members. And then the realization was that, you know, when you're looking for a who to solve a problem or to build something, that that who is eventually going to be AI Mm -hmm. and that there's very little training out there. So, you know, it's both software as a service and AI as a service. And so we have created a vast knowledge base on that. And we're doing a series of webinars and a series of courses we're going to be filming. And as a result of that, we're going to fundamentally allow people to get up to speed on their own as entrepreneurs and provide that digitally to both our Abundance Digital community, which we've had now for the better part of three years, and also Abundance 360 members who get the Abundance Digital community as part of that, and also to support the coach community. So Dan, I'd like to take a second and address sort of the exponential elements of the Mm COVID-19 pandemic, the solutions, how we prevent this in, in the future. You know, it's interesting. I've been talking about exponential growth forever, and it took a global pandemic to get everybody talking about exponentials. Got everybody's attention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So just the numbers for folks listening, if you double something 10 times, it grows by a thousandfold, right? So 10 doublings, it's a thousand X, 20 doublings, it's a million X, 30 doublings, it's a billion fold, right? So just for basics. And that's the challenge is that it's really hard once you hit the knee of this curve and it's exploding onto the scene, it's really hard to slow it down. So one of the things that's going to be happening is we're going to start to see, so this COVID-19, this coronavirus is an RNA virus. It's a derivative of the same kind of virus that causes the common cold. It's just the attributes of this in terms of mortality rate and the way it's spreading has different elements that make it more of a dangerous pandemic. I think there was a huge amount of fear early days that the numbers for the United States were that we would see a million and a half to two million deaths. That level of fear has been pulled back to the point where we're now expecting 100,000 deaths, 200,000 deaths, still significant, but we get 50,000 deaths a year already from the flu. So it's a bad flu year, but we don't have an innate herd immunity. We don't have a vaccine for this, which makes it more dangerous. But the fear is the real pandemic going on. So in the future, I think what we're going to start to see is at train stations, at bus stops, at airports, in the air filters, in the water systems, we'll see genome sequencers that are sequencing everything that comes through it and finding, oh, this is a novel new version of a virus we haven't seen, and then sequence it in, right now it's minutes, eventually it'll be milliseconds, and then send it at the speed of light around the world. And then you can, if you see that virus at the Hong Kong airport, and then you see that same virus being detected at the LA airport, you don't have to track the people. You can track, in fact, that virus around the world, that sort of thing. And then being able to use AI and eventually quantum computing to create vaccines or antivirals for that specific virus, because a DNA sequence doesn't create a random virus, it creates a very specific virus with the very specific antigens that you create antibodies for and so forth. So there's going to be ways of making closing the loop multiple orders of magnitudes faster in the future. On the previous podcast, you used the Darwinian notion, and 
you know, you also made, you know, a real sharp distinction that this is the first time that humanity as a whole has faced a single enemy. You know, from the virus's point of view, so if we depart from our point of view, we go to the virus itself and you're inside that virus, what's the instinct of the virus? What's it trying to do? I mean, that's just trying to make its way in the world, I guess, right? Yeah, the, the virus is, first of all, what is a virus? A virus is the closest thing to a, what we call a nanobot. There's a debate about whether you call a virus a living organism or not. Mm-hmm. It is unable to replicate on its own. It has to infect a cell. If it's infecting a bacteria, it's a bacteriophage. It's a bacterial virus. If it's infecting an animal or human, it's what we call a virus. And there are something like 10 to the 30th bacteriophage and viruses on the planet. It's the most prevalent self-replicating organism on the planet by far. And its purpose is simply to self-replicate and get itself out as far and wide as it can, and it adapts to do that. Now, what I find hopeful, you know, when I think about, I'm always focused on a hopeful, compelling, and abundant future. That's my mantra. That's my MTP. That's what I work with and so forth. What I find hopeful here is that for the first time ever, we're seeing every you know, weapon we have, and I include mines as weapons here, focused on this single virus. And my estimate is somewhere between 100 million and 200 million scientists, physicians, nurses, technologists, all taking aim at this thing. I don't think it stands a chance. Now, the challenge is that our brains are linear. So we see it happening. We see all the negative news. We see a little bit of progress in oh, look, chloroquine and a Z-pack looks like it recovers a little bit. And we see the early signs of vaccines being worked on, but we're not seeing the tsunami of work coming in. So we're going to see this exponential rise in the number of antivirals and vaccines and therapies. Because I know I'm involved in two companies, and I can talk about them if you want, that are focused on early detection and therapies and vaccines. Man, oh man, there is an explosion in a positive sense of people working on it and solutions. And so I think in about 60 days, we're going to see this massive pummeling of the virus spring at the speed of light around the planet that will squelch this thing. It's going to go from deceptive to disruptive in the eyes of the virus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're a doctor. You went to Harvard Medical School and everything like that. (laughs) If you can describe the stages that you went through from, oh, that's interesting to, okay, this is really serious and we got to get down. So there's probably a series of responses and I'll talk about it. You know, I'm pretty much of an internet junkie every day. So the original stuff that started popping up in China back in November and December, I was taking a look every day, what was actually happening there. And then I was doing a workshop in Chicago, and this would be just a couple weeks ago. And our numbers were down, you know, they were probably down about 30%. And that day, Babs and the team got together and they said, well, you know, we're going to have to shut it down until June 1st. So I flew back to Toronto and I said, well, new ball game new Monopoly game, you know, it's like Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Game ends, you have to throw all the pieces back in the box and you start a new game. But here, the pieces in the box actually change and the board game changes when you go back on the board game. 
So from your standpoint, one, you have your own personal training in medicine, and also you've just been deeply, deeply invested in all things related to longevity for as long as I can trace back in your books and (laughs) your interests. So what was the point when you think about it now going back, what was the point where you say, oh, this is a really big deal? Yeah. So when this started hitting, my first reaction is, okay, this is here. And first reaction was, how do you compare this against the annual flu? Right. Because the flu numbers are significant in terms of in the United States alone, we've seen in the last flu season, like 2018 to 2019, on the order of 50,000 deaths in a year. But, you know, millions of millions of people infected. The cry was that we're going to see 2 million deaths, 3 million deaths, 4 million deaths. And we talk about this a lot. We have this amygdala part of our brain that looks for anything that's scary and puts us on red alert. And so the news cycle was starting to build in a fear-mongering mm-hmm. way, which is that during times of war and during times of crisis like this, the news media does amazingly well. Everybody's glued to CNN or Fox News, whatever you want to watch. And so the more fear, the more it's glued. And it was getting pretty bad. And I was just trying to say, hey, listen, let's look at the reality here. This is serious. Wash your hands, etc. But look at the death rates across everything else going on. And so I tried to provide a calming reaction to contextualize this. And I still feel to a large degree that it's bad, but not going to be as bad. And we're going to see a very rapid response solving this. But then the realization was, for me, the economic impact is going to be massive, Mm -hmm. right? We're going to see millions, if not tens of millions of bankruptcies. We may hit a 20% unemployment rate and people losing their jobs and losing their, in particular, losing their nest eggs. So that's the part that really started hitting me as the country started shutting down and not shutting down like China did in a, like, we're going to shut it down and we're going to shut down this epidemic. It's shutting down slowly and people are still not wearing their masks when they're outside. Mm -hmm. So that's been concerning. I got about three weeks ago, I'm involved in the board of one company that's in the vaccine space. And we started a brand new company, COVAX, C-O-V-A-X-X, and we went from conversation, this is with dear friends of mine, Lou Reese and Mei Hugh, who are the co-CEOs of this. We went from a conversation to capitalizing the company with $20 million inside of a week. Mm-hmm. And it is built the most defined blood antibody test. It's spun up capabilities gone from 10,000 tests a week to we're approaching a million test capabilities to manufacture per week. We're talking to the top companies and cities they ended up going in and testing all of San Miguel County. They're testing for free 8,000 people around Telluride and then talking to the governors of all the states. And then vaccines and then Bob Hurry, I'm on another board of cellularity, using natural killer cells derived from placentas as a way to augment your immunity. So lots of different new approaches. I'm seeing a piece of this, but there's a thousand X more yeah. going on. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we each have a network of people that we can influence and we have virtual tools where we can go beyond the people that we actually know personally. But I have a feeling that millions and millions of people are doing great work right now. 
There are, absolutely, because their mind is more focused than ever before. So, you know, fear can be the mind killer. It can also be a focuser yeah. and opportunity coming out of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a team whose job is just to be in touch every day with our client base. And we've doubled down and tripled down on this. We have this new distinction in strategic coach. Are you a simplifier or are you a multiplier? And I've been thinking about this for about six, seven months, but I'm noticing that I've reduced all activities for myself down to just making something simple to understand for someone else and then have that person multiply it out to other people. So I think your example of your new webinar on SAS and software as a service, artificial, yeah. artificial intelligence as an exponential who is an example of you now simplifying something very complex. You know, it's almost infinite in scope, but actually bringing it down to where people are going to be convinced that it's time to make the digital jump. I told the story in the previous episode about Gutenberg with the clothing. But the other thing was, as soon as people started reading, because there was reading available, they found out that they were all farsighted. Everybody was farsighted. And the reading glass industry in Europe expanded as fast as the printing press. Okay. And that was a new capability. It was a new capability because before people read to you, And there's a lot of thought, you know, that actually we didn't really see ourselves as individuals until we could learn reading by ourselves, where we'd have conversation with the book. And then we start having conversations inside our head. But the glass industry was really, really crucial to the expansion of this. So if you think about reading and, you know, having glasses to facilitate reading and move that 500 years further along the line, you really, really understand that being able to communicate digitally and then, you know, shifting everything over to a digitally based. I mean, you know, before the digital revolution, we were a reading based civilization, culture, global business structure. I mean, everything that we did was based on the fact that we could read, but this is a new form of reading and it'll be much more exponential than the previous one. Without any question. And it's going to be amazing looking back five years from now to this next few months. There will be some extraordinary companies birthed, multiple new startups, even societal traditions coming out of this. And it's as an entrepreneur, what I do is I keep a notebook of problems I see, challenges I see. What am I experiencing that I wish I could do differently. And every one of those problems and challenges are opportunities. Mm -hmm. And how do you do the mental judo of see a problem, recognize it's a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. So don't complain, solve. Yeah. I heard a great explanation. You know, there's a fork in the road when you're shocked by something new. You can react or you can respond. And there's a difference between those two words. React is that you're shocked and you're overwhelmed by your feelings, okay? And you can't get out of the feelings overwhelmed. Whereas respond is you've gone a step further. Yeah, you had the initial emotional hit, but then you say, huh, what am I seeing in this? And then you define action. A lot of people can only react to a crisis like this, and they're in their negative feelings and everything, but there's other people who say, gee, 
oh, wow, you got my attention. And now I'm more alert now. I'm more curious. I'm more responsive. I'm more resourceful. And I think entrepreneurs are the leadership class in times like this. Chris Voss, he's in Strategic Coach, but you would know him. And he was among the top hostage negotiators for the FBI. And he said, everybody says, you know, when there's a crisis, people rise to the challenge. He said, actually, they don't. He said, what they do is they default to their highest level of preparation for a situation like this. And I think I can see it in you that, first of all, Peter, I know enough of your history to know that a large portion of it was actually scary times. For me, yeah, sure, of course. There was a multitude of times where I had leapt out of the airplane without the parachute to build it on the way down. Yeah. And, you know, and so like, my <laughs> feeling is for entrepreneurs, it's more of a change of degree than it is a change of kind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have two eight and a half year old boys. When I was eight and a half, the Apollo 11 moon landing was going on, which was a global event of positive note for them. That's this. And I wonder how it's going to change mm-hmm. their lives. These are the right hand inflection points in society. We have these things. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be so much opportunity, so much change coming out of this. You know, I just finished the book I'd written, The Future's Faster Than You Think. And a lot of the predictions there that were in the retail space, in the entertainment space, in the healthcare space are really being accelerated to now. And so it's extraordinary. This is an accelerant of the future yeah. without any question. Yeah. You know, I live the day in 24-hour futures, and I try to pile up wins during each 24-hour period and tell myself a great story before I go to bed. And I start the morning with enthusiasm for a day that was better than yesterday. That's my game plan here. First of all, I have a question before. Is this just the first of the viruses we're going to see? In other words, this is kind of unusual. I mean, so... Are there conditions in the world right now where we might, you know, be smart to know that maybe this could happen again and not decades from now, but it could happen on a more frequent basis? Great question. Let me answer it in a couple of parts. Uh, I was just on a webinar with Dr. Larry Brilliant, who headed the smallpox eradication team at the World Health Organization and was head of Google.org and head of Jeff Skoll's nonprofit. And he made a point of saying, first of all, we're seeing pandemics on a pretty regular basis, but we're likely to see more of them. And the reason he said, which makes some sense, is the human impact on the environment. We are causing an average global temperature to rise, which is changing the biosphere. We're also deforesting the planet, and that's causing a lot of the animal populations that used to live in secluded forest areas to come more into contact with humans. And we're seeing these viruses as viruses going from animals, in this case for the coronavirus, from a bat to a human. And so those changes could increase it. I think we should have been much better prepared. Everybody's probably seen the 2015 TED Talk by Bill Gates about pandemics that in which he predicted exactly what's going on now. What my concern is that we now as a species understand there are these existential threats. And these are species-wide threats that can harm the entire planet. And we don't pay attention to them. So every year in October, I have something called X-Prize Visioneering, 
It's three days. We focus on the world's biggest problems and what we should be doing. And we set a theme. This year, we set the theme back in November of 2019 of the theme for Visioneering this year as addressing humanity's existential threats. Pandemic was number one on the list. It's not surprised with a pandemic. We've known we're going to have a pandemic. Another existential threat that could make this pandemic look like a really great day in California is an asteroid impact. Mm -hmm. You know, we are going to have asteroid impacts on the planet. We are a beautiful blue-green gem in a solar system filled with rocks, you know, from a few centimeters to kilometers in size. And sometimes they hit the earth and on a regular cadence, every hundred years, every thousand years, every million years and so forth, we get hit by these rocks. It used to be that if a rock hit in pre-industrial age, like in the tundra of Russia, Siberia, you know, too bad, no one really knew about it. Now, if a small, you know, 100 meter asteroid hits over any population center, you're going to see a global economic collapse that's going to make like this one look like mm-hmm. it's nothing. So, but we have the ability to prevent these things, mm-hmm. to detect these asteroids and to go potentially move these asteroids. But if we're ready, and so society really needs to be thinking about how do we take some percentage of our resources to prevent pandemics, to prevent mm-hmm. asteroid impacts, prevent the fragility of our power grid from an EMP. I don't want to end on a negative note, but there's lots of things oh, we know kind about. Kind of like a new kind of defense force, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're always scaring ourselves into the future, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to end on this thought, which is we've never lived during a more amazing time, incredible time ever in human history. We are more empowered as individuals to solve any problem. And the tools that we have as entrepreneurs, access to capital, knowledge, you know, cloud computing, manufacturing capabilities, you know, is extraordinary. And so rather than sit back in fear, step forward in confidence that you can, in fact, solve any problem. And we can solve these problems. Mm-hmm. And it really is, I believe, it is entrepreneurs that will be solving these problems and yeah. who are tremendous category of heroes on this planet we need more than ever before. Yeah. Yeah, the definition still works. The earliest definition of entrepreneur that I can trace back is 1804, and he was a French, what we would call an economist. His name was Say, Jean-Baptiste Say, and he said, entrepreneurs are individuals who take resources from a lower level of productivity to a higher level of productivity. And they asked him, well, what kind of resources? any kind of resources. And I think that Julian Simon, who is, you know, the data godfather of all optimism in the world, he said, you know, we talk about natural resources. We're running out of natural resources. He said, there aren't any natural resources. There's only one natural resource, and that's human ingenuity. Any stuff that we apply human ingenuity to, we turn it into a new natural resource. So I think... That's a very supportive thought with your thought. Yeah. You know, one thing that we're going to be doing is really stepping up access to the world for Abundance Digital to allow people to get access to this. We're going to be offering people a free period of time to touch it, try it, educate, because 
getting your cognitive resources up and running in exponential world is critical. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm just super excited about helping as you are inspiring you entrepreneurs to come out of this. And I define entrepreneurs, anyone who sees a problem and solves a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Dan, thank you, pal. Okay, Peter. Thankful as always. And see you on our next episode of Exponential Wisdom. Thank you very much. Be well.